series. And so in our series, it's called One Perfect Servant. Anyone have a guess of who this servant is? <laughs> Jesus. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be reading, basically reading through the Gospel of Mark. So I encourage you, um, this is going to be a bit of a longer series, but I encourage you as we go through it to on your own time, read through the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest of the Gospels. You could, you could probably read it in an hour or so if you wanted to do it in one sitting or maybe even less than that. So I encourage you to read it and maybe read it a few times as we go through this series. So I want to say that as we do this series, I have two main aims with this series. I think I put them on the screen here. Let me see. Yes. Aim number one, to bring glory to Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. To bring glory to Jesus. As we're going to be reading, the gospel stories are the stories about Jesus. And as we read them, I don't know about you, but as I read the stories of Jesus, I find he's just such a perfect person in all that he does. He's so powerful, and yet he comes with such humility. He's so, like, he's so righteous, but at the same time, he's so merciful. He just balances everything so perfectly, and he's such a perfect servant. So... As we read through his story, one of, one of the gospel accounts, we're just going to bring glory to him and recognize, Jesus, you are so worthy of following. And the second aim of this series is to follow and obey him wholeheartedly. Follow him wholeheartedly. I think in our culture, we have so much information about the Bible. Anyone agree with that? We have so much access to information about the Bible. We know more about the Old Testament, New Testament context, about the history than anyone ever before. And the other day I was just like, I want to learn about an archaeological discovery that has to do with the Bible. So I just went on YouTube, I found tons, and it was just so cool to learn about. So we have that access to that information at our fingertips. That's not what we're lacking in the church. We're lacking full wholehearted obedience to Jesus in all of his teachings. Because it's not always easy to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, is it? He's got some hard teachings for us. So my motto for this series, I haven't told Serena this, if she's here, but my model, motto for this series is, if Jesus says it, I'ma do it. Anyone know what I'ma means? <laughs> this is a slang, this is what the younger kids are saying these days. I'm going to do it. It's short for I'm going to, for those of us who are more civilized. <laughs> if Jesus says it, I'm going to do it. Say that with me. If Jesus says it, I'm going to do it. That's our motto, okay? Are you with me on that? If Jesus says it in his word, we want to follow him wholeheartedly and obey him wholeheartedly. So that's our motto for this series. I'll say it next week again. So open your Bibles with me to Mark 1. And we're going to start reading through this. Mark 1. Come on, remote. You can do it. Mark 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness... Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. 
Come on, come on, remote. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. Interesting fashion. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize, baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At, oh, oh, getting ahead of myself here. Calvin, can you head back to that slide? At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. So this is the forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist. He's, he came and he's preparing the way for Jesus to come. And so I don't, the last few times I've read this passage, I've, I don't know about you, have you ever read a passage and you can kind of feel it in your bones? You just feel the feeling of what the passage is saying? The last few times I've read this passage, I feel that anticipation that John likely felt, that John knew he was coming and preparing the way for the biggest moment in history, the biggest moment that had ever happened in the world. John knew that. He was coming out of an era into a new era, and he was right on the edge. He was looking forward to that moment. I can just feel that anticipation that he likely had as he looked around and said, where's the Messiah? When's he going to come? Um, looking forward to, to that moment. So I want to just step back for a moment and look at a little bit of the context of Scripture or the narrative of Scripture into which this story comes. Because sometimes we can read this at the beginning of the New Testament and just think it starts a whole new thing. But this is actually coming in a context of God's narrative of Scripture, of his story with his people. So how fast can I do the whole narrative of Scripture? A uh, couple minutes, let's see. This is a very Coles Notes version. So God creates Adam and Eve. He blesses them. He says, be fruitful and multiply. And he gives them one command, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what do they do? They rebel. Then God, we'll skip ahead a little bit. God chooses Abraham and he blesses him and says, I'm going to bless you and, and uh, make your descendants as numerous as the sand. And then Abraham and his descendants grow, and eventually they become enslaved in Egypt, and God rescues them out of Egypt. And he blesses them and says, I'm going to give you my law and my commands. And what do they do? They rebel against him. Then God sends his prophets to his people and says, turn back to me, turn back to me, turn away from your sin and follow me, and I will bless you. But his people continue to rebel. So this story... I'm kind of focusing on the negative here of the story of the Old Testament, but it's a, it's a continual story of God reaching out to his people and his people rejecting him and rebelling against him. So eventually, um, God's people become taken over by Assyria and Babylon. 
And this is around Assyria is around 600, uh, or sorry, 722, and Babylon is around 586. That that they're conquered by these foreign nations and taken into exile. Now this is a traumatic moment. Um, imagine if someone came to Canada and basically took the church and spread us out to different countries and took us away from our homes. This would be heavily traumatic for us. So this was traumatic for the Jewish people. In the midst of this, God promises to send a Messiah. He promises to send a ruler that will come and restore his people. Are you tracking with me? Most of you guys know this biblical story. But God often promises through his prophets that one day he's going to send a Messiah. One of my favorite prophecies of looking forward to the New Testament is the prophecy of Daniel. And I've shared this before, so I, I share this one often because I find it so interesting. All right, let's see if I can get to the slide. Maybe. All right, here it is. So just so you know, Daniel's alive around 520 to 538 BC. That's a long time before Jesus came, okay? So this is when this was written. It says, no, so this is um, an angel speaking to Daniel. And the angel says, know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. In other words, 69 seven-year periods. That's very specific. The angel saying, this is the amount of time until the Messiah comes. Okay? Very fascinating, very specific. He keeps going and says, it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. That's very specific. He's saying, this is written 600 years before Jesus. And he's saying, this many years will happen until the Messiah comes and the Messiah will be killed. That is specific Old Testament prophecy and so accurate. I find this so cool if you can't tell. Okay, what's well, 69 seven-year periods? 483. That's 483 years between the time that the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah comes. Okay, so there were a number of announcements to rebuild Jerusalem. So one of the ones that seems to fit very well is uh, the announcement of Artaxerxes in 458. He announced to the Jews, go back and rebuild the temple. 483 years after this is 26 AD. That's when many scholars believe Jesus was baptized by John. Anyone, anyone's mind blown? I haven't seen anyone fall over in disbelief. Isn't that so cool? So fascinating um, that the Old Testament, that written hundreds of years before Jesus came, was, was looking forward and prophesying with very specific detail the coming of Jesus. I find this so cool. So this is part of the context into which John's coming and, and baptizing Jesus. He's not coming just as this new guy. He's coming into this context of God's promises to Israel. All right. So John himself also fulfills prophecy from the Old Testament. If I can get there. Okay, so there's three promises in the Old Testament that point towards John. 
In Isaiah 40, God says, A voice of one calling, In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is the passage we saw in, in Mark 1. It was quoted in Mark 1. There's two other passages, though. One, Malachi 3, verse 1 says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. And one more. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So these are three prophecies that talk about this messenger who's going to come before the Messiah. Are you guys following with me? Keep with me. Three prophecies here that are prophesying about this messenger who's going to come before Christ. And so many, um, many people expected Elijah himself to come. But uh, John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So here's some similarities, as we can see, between, oh, between John the Baptist and Elijah. Can you go back to that slide? Uh, just one back. Calvin? All right. Here's some similarities between John and, e sorry, Elijah, not Ezekiel. I'm not sure why I put that. So both preached a message of repentance. Be drawn back to God. Be reconciled to God. Turn away from your sin. Both were fashionistas and wore a garment of hair and a leather belt. That, maybe that could come back in style. I'm sure, I'm sure people wear stuff like that today. Both were also culinary trendsetters and being fed from wildlife in the desert. John ate locusts. Uh, Elijah was fed by ravens. So they were fashionistas and culinary uh, trendsetters. Uh, both preached against the evil behavior of kings and both had their lives sought from wicked queens. So in the story of Elijah, um, Jezebel came and sought to kill Elijah. And then for John, Herodias uh, killed him. So interesting, John is the fulfillment of that scripture, that he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And as we can see, there's so many similarities between the two. It's really fascinating. So a lot of this is kind of informational, but I find this so fascinating that that John is coming on the scene and Jesus is coming on the scene as a part of God's overarching story. I think sometimes as Christians, we can leave the Old Testament behind and just say, God was different then. He was maybe more harsh. Um, but, but Jesus came on the scene at, in fulfillment of scripture. He didn't reject the Old Testament. He fulfilled it. So that's so important for us um, to uphold the, the, the Old Testament as well. Okay, so as we read this passage, how does this apply to us today? Does this have any application for us today? And so for me, the most significant question as we look at this story of John, and as he, John's coming on the scene, the most significant question I think is, um, how did God want his messenger to prepare the way for him? If you imagine, is it King Charles? Is that who's king right now? Imagine King Charles came to you. Actually, people don't love King Charles. What about Kate and, uh, was it William? Imagine they come to you and they say, they come to you specifically and say, 
we're coming to Waterloo in two weeks. We want you to prepare for us. You would probably say, okay, tell me what I need to prepare for. Like, give me the specifics. You would really want to know how to prepare because that's, a, that's showing you're getting ready for them. And uh, so in the same way, it's very important for us to pay attention to what did God want John to do to prepare the way for him? So what did John do? John preached a message of repentance. It's interesting. This was the thing, this was the message that prepared the way for the king. A message of repentance. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from the things you've done that are in disobedience to me and follow me. Turn back to me. This was the, the way he prepared the way for the king. And so this is the message I want to proclaim to us today. Repentance. Repent and turn back to God. I think often as a church we pray, God, let your kingdom come among us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you totally in our presence, God. Come and minister to us, Lord. We pray these prayers, inviting the King to be among us. Have we prepared the way for him? Are our hearts ready to receive the King? We're looking forward to the day, the future return of Christ. But I'm, I'm talking also about the, the present aspect of the Holy Spirit being poured out on us. He's the King as well. Are we prepared for the Spirit to move among us? Have we prepared the way in our hearts and among us for the Spirit to move among us? Are we living with any... Are we living with bad relationships with one another? Are we holding bitterness towards people? That's so common. That's so common, even in the church. Are we, are we living with this tension towards people that they wronged me, so I, I, I don't forgive them? How could I forgive them? We're going to be stuck in bondage if we, if we live with that kind of relationship. God's calling us to make our relationships right. John the Baptist was turning the father's heart to the children. And so we need to turn our hearts to whoever it is in our life that's maybe we have tension with or people who we've hurt and we need to go make things right. God's calling us back to repentance, church. And the time is now. We can't wait any longer. We can't wait anymore. The scriptures talk about how if we live with unrepentant hearts, we're storing up wrath for ourselves on the day of God's judgment. God is going to come and pour out wrath on those who have unrepentant hearts, who are living in disobedience to him and don't actually want to follow his, his law or follow his spirit. That should be chilling to us a little bit. If we have things in our life that are, are in opposition to God, we should fear the Lord and say, Lord, help us. I, don't, I want to follow you, Lord. I want to serve you, Lord. So God is calling us back to having hearts of repentance having soft, tender hearts before him. Does anyone, when I say the word tender heart, does a person come to your mind? Do you have anyone in your life that you look at and you say, that person just has a really soft heart? No one? Anyone? You can put your hands up. You guys, I hope, hopefully there's some people you know that have soft hearts. We, uh, uh, yeah, I remember there's one guy, my dad and mom are here this morning. 
I remember there was someone, a number of people in our church growing up who had just very soft hearts. Um, there was one guy, every time he would come up and talk to me about maybe something God was doing or talking about the youth and how they're drawing close to God, he would always have tears in his eyes. And every time I would come away from conversations with him, I would just say, wow, he has such a tender heart. He has such a, a squishy heart. I like to call it a squishy heart. His heart is just so transparent. I know I'm fairly confident there's nothing impure in there. No impure. Maybe he does things wrong, but but I know his heart is pure. So this is what God's calling us to. Um, I think of the story in the uh, New Testament where the Pharisee and this other man went to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee said, God, thank you that you've made me so good and I, I, I'm doing all the right things. Thank you so much for that. And then this other man comes in Sorry, I get emotional every time I think about this story. I don't know why. It's just a powerful story. He kind of comes and stands at the back. Okay, pull it together. He comes and stands at the back and he beats his chest and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm not worthy. Have mercy on me, Lord. And who went home justified in that moment? It was that, that man. <clears throat> that man had a soft heart. He had a, a squishy heart. So let's be squishy heart people. Let's not be, be hard-hearted. And so how do we do this? <laughs> Maybe you're just like, I actually just have a hard heart. I don't know how to get over it. I think it starts with being vulnerable with each other. As a church, we're pretty open with each other. And that's important, that we come together and we don't hide all the, the crap in our life. Can I say that word in church? We don't hide that crap in our life and in our heart. We just say, we share it openly and say, look, I've struggled with this. This is something I did this last week that was not good. That's vulnerability. That's hard to do in church. Anyone feel that's hard? <laughs> It's hard to open up in church and say, I've, I've screwed up in these ways. I've, this is, this, these are things I've done wrong. That's really hard to do. But if we want God to purify us, we have to get to that point. We have to get to the point where we are willing to be vulnerable with each other. And the next thing to keep a soft heart that we have to do is to forgive one another. That is equally as hard. If someone hurts us deeply, very deeply it's very hard to forgive but that's what god's calling us into and that's what god's given to us he's demonstrated his forgiveness to us just as this man came before him and beat his chest and said i'm a sinner god forgave him and so as as we come together and confess our sin to one another we have to forgive one another so Repentance always precedes a move of God. Has anyone been watching the Asbury Revival or following the Asbury Revival? That's fun to watch. I'm loving that. And to me, it drives me nuts when people look at that and they say they have criticism towards it. I'm like, these are thousands of young people praising God and repenting of their sin. What could you be sad about? It's hard to get young people to do stuff. 
hard to get them to do stuff, especially in church. You have thousands of young people praising God day and night, repenting of their sin to another. We should be rejoicing in what God's doing and so excited. I was going to show a video of it, but it didn't work this morning. But in, in the video, uh, people are sharing their testimonies. And the one girl, she comes and says, um, I know this campus really well. And she says, I know the people on this campus who hate each other. And she said, one of the biggest things I've noticed is that those people are worshiping together. They're praising God together. They've reconciled. And she said, there's, there's been healings and miraculous stuff that's happened as well. But to me, that's so cool to see God actually reconciling people together. So when God starts to move, he's going to move us to make things right, to reconcile with, with relationships that are broken, to confess that we've stolen something or we've done something wrong. Whatever it is that we've done wrong, He's going to move us. The Holy Spirit will always move us to make things right and to live in that heart of repentance. So, I want to close off with a challenge. As we said, if Jesus says it, I'm going to do it. Remember? So, my challenge to you is, if there's anything, I, I'm sure as I'm speaking this morning, the Spirit is maybe putting something on your heart. If there's something you've done wrong or a person you're, you're not reconciled with, I'm sure the Holy Spirit is putting these things on your heart. So pay attention to that. If you need to, write it down. And my challenge to you is to make it right. Don't delay in repenting of your sin. Don't delay in reconciling with those who are in opposition to you. Okay? So let's just spend a moment and we'll, we'll continue to allow the Spirit to speak to us. So Lord, God, we thank you that you are merciful to us, Lord. God, as we come humbly before you, we come before you recognizing that we are like that man. Lord, we're not worthy of your forgiveness. So God, we say, have mercy on us, sinners, Lord. Lord, if there's things in our life that are not pleasing to you, we ask that you would reveal those to us right now by your Spirit. Well, let's just spend a moment and listen and see if the Spirit puts something on your heart. So Lord, I just pray that whatever you've put on people's hearts this morning, that you would ingrain that in their hearts. Lord, if it's just ingrain that in their minds and their hearts to go and make things right, to repent before you. Lord, we thank you for your love and your forgiveness, God, as we confess our sins. Thank you so much, God. We welcome you, King of Kings. Holy Spirit, we welcome you, King of Kings, in our midst. We prepare our hearts for you, God, to, to move among us. We're ready and expectant for you to move, God. We're praying, let your kingdom come. And God, we're waiting for that. We're waiting for your kingdom to come in power. We're waiting and expecting that, Lord. So 
we prepare our hearts before you. Help make us clean. In Jesus' name, amen.